Emily, it's almost September. Yes, it's very close. You know what happens in September? Back to school. Don't most kids now go back to yeah, school in do. August? I mean, I did even. I watched, as an August 18th birthday, I watched school envelop me during my time there. Like, used to be September, then was like the week before, after my birthday, and then one time my birthday was the first day of school, and then it started before my birthday. I watched it happen. I was on the front lines. Well, I think it's, I mean, now since we have announced our dates, we can talk about the fact that the festival, this is the opposite, but like how when things keep moving back, the festival now starts in May, which is now going to blow my mind next year. It is going to blow my mind. It is the correct time to do it, but I don't like it. I will like it to always be June 1st through 4th. June 1st through 4th are great dates. What if we did the festival just like whatever June 1st through 4th is? I mean, just, it's the middle of the week. It's a Sunday fun through idea Thursday. For the it's a, like, just whatever those days are. That's what it is. You know, listeners, let us know what you think. It just moves. Because it could be, you know, who's to say when the fun is had? I mean, uh, I kind of like this idea. Her eyes like, are really I up know. in the air. You oh, guys thinking... can't see her, but her <laughs> eyes roll up upwards to the sky. And you know, like, it's either going to be great or you're in trouble. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. 10-day festival. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Veto. I know that a 10-day festival for season 10 was originally my idea. We all it took a turn. Yes. <laughs> that was not my idea. And everyone else contributed to what ended up happening. Not the point in this moment. The point in this moment is, I mean, if the festival is like... A Tuesday through a Friday, is that cheaper flights for people? Are there cheaper hotel rooms not on a weekend? Does that make a difference? It probably does. I mean, I don't know. I Something mean, to discuss camp for later is years. During the week. There you go. You it, go is, camp it is Monday through Friday. Like it is day camps and TV camp for grownups. Yeah. So you know, I would love to hear everyone's opinion. I'm we used to be real precious about things, like, and then COVID happened and we changed our hotel headquarters and, you know, with more change, you're more okay with change. And so, like, if we just decided our dates are always the first through the fourth, I would not be so opposed. But for those that don't know, this year is May 30th through June 2nd. Yes. Which is still the same weekend as last year. It is the weekend, the Thursday following Memorial Day. (laughs) You got it. Uh, And it is... We did that the last couple of years. We used to be a week and a half after Memorial Day. It's a very long journey. But we like being at the beginning of June. And spoiler alert, if you look at those dates in 2025, you'll you'll have a shocking. So maybe we'll go June 1st through 4th. We haven't announced those dates. I know. That's a very long. (laughs) That's when we were talking about preparing for next year and you know, setting timelines, something uh, that we were looking at a calendar said season 14. <laughs> and uh, you and Jen were both like, yeah, season 14. And Laura and I were like, what happened, what, to, 13? what happened to season 13? And it's because our minds get so into season 12 and then season 13. But we just did season 12. So we were talking about season 13. Your brain starts to think that's what you just did. And now we have no idea. But it was a solid minute of uh, there being, wait, no, we're in season 14 and Laura and I are like, no, no, you well, do not. I still stand by Laura, maybe like elevators that don't have a floor 13. You could just skip 13 because some people think it's unlucky. You know what? Don't put that into the ether. Okay. <laughs> so many things to vote on. 
Um, just kidding. We're having a season 13. It's May 30th through June 2nd, 2024. I had to think in my head, what year are we in? That definitely took yeah, me a minute. I got no you. idea. I got you. Anyway, we digress. We're here. <laughs> what does happen in September? That was your original question. Oh, I was going to say nothing. Oh. The, <laughs> the heat doesn't, the heat doesn't lift. Still normal days. I don't know where I was going to go Great. with that. There's but a Labor Day weekend yep. and then yep. everything's continuing to just be hot here in town. Yeah, that sounds right. But my birthday happens in September. Oh, that does happen in September. Happy early birthday. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, that's a, that a, it's too early for that. Yes. It's still August. It's August 30th. Enjoy these last two days. Today's Laura's birthday. It's today? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday Happy to Laura. Happy birthday, Laura Kincaid. Our director of, op- of operations. Also yes. pause on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard times with the days in the title. The heat is it getting is to Laura's me. Laura's birthday. Happy birthday, Laura. She is not at work. She didn't. I'm just saying it. I know. what happened. Like, I'm not saying she should be at work. I'm just saying she's not here. So this is how we're... Anyway. I'm thinking, how do we segue this into the I topic? Know. I'm like, this is this our we comedy can't. routine. It, we definitely should not be stand-up comics. 100% comedy routine. Also, end of summer. And you're welcome for this break. Although, it, I mean, yes, today's panel is Diverse Voices in Comedy, presented by Universal Studio Group. So some people think we're funny. <laughs> we think we're funny. That's about it. Sometimes. Um, so Universal Studio Group, also reper- referred to by us, at least as USG, were partners of ours this year and last year. And I think it is really, they're great partners and they helped present TV shows and bring panelists and do individual panels. I think they ended up doing three panels with us this year. Um, and we're a presenting sponsor and we're huge supporters this year. Um, something I find really interesting that has been great. Two of our greatest partners this year were studios. And I think in the past 12 years, that has sort of not replaced, but come to the same level as networks and now streamers and platforms. It used to be studios kind of looked more to networks and later streamers to promote the shows. Like this is where you watch them. You don't watch them on a USG platform. You watch Mm -hmm. them on Peacock or NBC or wherever Freebie. They, they were there, the studio behind Primo. Um, And what I think is really interesting is in the evolution of television, this makes total sense because the studio owns the show. The studio is mm-hmm. making the show for time. It may live somewhere, but ultimately it will always be a Universal Studio Group show. It may not always be on Peacock. So it makes yeah. sense that they want you to know who's making their content. And the fact that their content lives in so many different places only, I think, makes them stronger. And I love that they want consumers to know that and to know this is produced by the studio and... I think they did a good job with that with us this year. I absolutely agree. And uh, one of the many things that I loved about this conversation is it was two first-time ATX TV panelists, Jerry Johnson from Harlem and Christina Vidal from Primo. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were just fantastic and fabulous and wonderful. I mean, Jerry walked into the green room and her outfit, dancing, and just this like, beautiful, loud, bold colors, and she just owns her space and is phenomenal. And I was in awe of her from the second she appeared. I first saw her. I did not know because I don't watch Harlem, but I will now. But I saw her on the red carpet on opening night and was like, who who is that? And what is she here for? Because she just like dominated the red carpet too and was dancing and like 
having the greatest time. And I loved it. I love it. And they talk about it in the panel a bit about just owning your space and how cool that is to see someone I love. I mean, you know how much I love big, bright, bold colors. So I do (laughs) to watch them walk in with decked out in those. I'm like, yes, yes, I want to be your friend. And she was amazing and did seem to dance through the festival that I loved. She did. And then Christina came in and owned the festival in her own right by being part of our Cheers script reading. She was Carla and she knocked it out of the park. Oh my gosh. I may have told this on another podcast intro, but we'll tell it again that in the rehearsal, we had the rehearsal with the whole cast. Everyone's reading their lines. Everyone's getting a feel for the stage. Everyone was good. They were solid, but, you know, everyone's trying to figure it out. But then when it came time to do the actual stage reading during the event, when she came on and the first monologue in Cheers that Carla does, Carla, like, barges into the bar and just has this very long monologue where she basically talks to herself for, I don't know, feels like three pages. It's probably not that long. (laughs) And Christina started, and it was one of those, when she finished, the whole place erupted in applause because it just nailed it and it nailed Carla and she said that after they did the rehearsal and she was like oh this is this is a big deal I need to bring my A game that she went back to her hotel room and just practiced oh very for cool. all afternoon well, to get I ready for it cool is she didn't do an impersonation of Rhea Perlman but she like embodied Carla so yes. like she brought her version of it but like there were flickers so it had the nostalgia um I also loved because she did this panel cheers reunion as well as the primo screening and but the cheers after the script reading they had the option to sit in the audience to watch the cheers panel and i was sitting in front of her and in the best way she was talking like to james burroughs on <laughs> like more in agreement like anytime you would say something she'd be like yep that i do yes he's right like because he was talking about like the status of television now and things like that she was having an active audience conversation with the cheers panel afterwards as well which i personally appreciated so i very much there they're just so delightful and both of their shows which i feel like are shows that are starting i mean primo's new but Mm -hmm. they're both shows that are starting to bubble up some with harlem and primo and they're both just really great shows full of so much heart yep then i feel in dark times in our world we're all looking for a little more heart and these shows definitely show that Obviously, they're comedies, so you would hope for that to be the case. But, you know, sometimes comedies can be too big, too broad. I have other words I'm not going <laughs> to use because I can't think of exactly. But, you know, they all have too much edge or too much this, too much that. But these just, I really think heart's a good word for them. Of They make you feel good. Absolutely. Like, that should be what comedy is able to do. And what the this panel being diversity in comedy is also the ability. Comedy can sometimes do that message better than drama yep. because you're laughing and it's just, it is the idea. We talk about it all the time about how you're inviting people into your living room and you're have they become your family. And I think comedy has a better ability to do that. Like in the past, like the will and graces of the world mm-hmm. and things like that is that the entertainment level is so much higher. I think in a comedy feel good space. So they're able to even, I don't even want to say tackle issues, but like show diversity and I know they talk the difference between diversity and representation but like they can do both in a way that doesn't feel like school yes and Jerry does talk about a lot of the issues that they touch on in Harlem and how it is easier to tackle those 
in a comedy setting because it doesn't feel preachy. You're not teaching a lesson. You're really just showing people in a situation and the realities of that situation. A hundred percent. I would talk more about it, but I feel like they should. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> um, so with that, please enjoy Diverse Voices in Comedy presented by Universal Studio Group with Jerry Johnson and Christina Vidal. And it is moderated by Austin's own Trevor Scott from We Are Austin. a little bit like overkill, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's great to see you. How are you this morning? Doing well. I'm a kind of a crowd participation kind of guy. We're like, you know, like Tinkerbell, she needs applause to like live. So we're going to do that today. Um, You know, it's a small room, so we're going to have a great conversation. So please feel free to uh, interact, react. We're going to have a really good conversation. Uh, This morning, we would love to welcome to the Diverse Voices in Comedy panel, Jerry Johnson from the beautiful show Harlem, who is just showing up this morning, glamour and elegance. We are so excited to have you. And from the wonderful show, set in San Antonio, Texas Ties, we've got Christina Vidal here this morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, fun fact, already, if you were uh, attended the, the Cheers reunion last night, you may have seen Christina portraying, actually smashing the role of Carla. Oh my God. Well, thank you. Yeah, How much that fun was, was that? Fun. Oh my gosh, that was like a dream I didn't know I had come true. <laughs> I felt like I haven't done theater since I was a kid and it felt like theater. So that was really fun. Yeah, it was an amazing night. We're going to have a great conversation. Of course, this is uh, called uh, Diverse Voices in Comedy. There's That is a... Uh, Big topic. So uh, my goal today is really just to kind of jump in and let you guys talk. I won't be saying much. We can go any direction we want. But I'm going to start with, um, I think when you think of diversity, we really kind of started to use uh, more of a word like representation, I think is really what we're talking about when we're when we're talking about looking at who we're seeing on television. So I would like to ask each of you, and Jerry, we'll start with you because you're right here with me. Um, what does representation mean to you when little... Jerry was watching TV, who might you have seen on television that you felt represented by? Well, I think for me, it's so, um, there's so many layers because I hold so many identities, Mm. being queer, being a woman-ish, being black, uh, growing up poor. And so I have, that has given me the gift of perspective. And so sometimes I watch things and there's so many holes and sometimes purposefully and sometimes not so much uh, because people don't have certain perspectives. They don't know what it's like to be a poor person or what that means. They don't know what it's like to be a person of color or what that means. And so um, sometimes they create characters that have those identities, but it falls flat because there's not that specificity. And so um, for me, I grew up with a lot of uh, black comedies, actually. Uh, when I was growing up, there was like the Jamie Foxx show and Martin and uh, the whatever, what is it called? The Fresh Prince. And so there was uh, there was lots of things, but um, most of those things didn't have queer characters um, at the center. And most of them were male-centered, except like the, the, um, the Friends shows the female the black female friendship shows um and so they're always kind of felt like i i had to take a piece of each thing right like i never felt like fully satisfied or seen or reflected on screen because at that time it just that's just not what it was and for and as a person of color like 
it's like, that's the story, right? You're like, well, this isn't completely it, but it's something. Yeah. And so, you know, um, and a lot of it is still good. It's just like, I don't see myself here or I can also see how this can be problematic, um, whether it's like the way they portray women or the way they portray black people or the way they portray queer people. Um, but you kind of, it's like cognitive dissonance. You kind of just have to like swallow the the pill of it uh, to be able to consume some, some good work or some work or whatever. Um, and I think now we're at a time where we don't have to make that compromise. Mm, that's yeah. amazing. The gift of perspective. I'm going to like write that uh, up. Yes. It's going to give me my Twitter bio now. Yes. Um, <laughs> Christina, how about you? You know, same question for you. What, where did you lack seeing representation and where did you see it? I'm always curious to see, to see what, what inspired you too. So, you know, what's interesting is my sister, uh, she started acting before I did. I always remember wanting to be on screen and even more so when I started seeing her. Um, but I don't remember as a child really registering whether or not I was represented or felt like I see someone who I just, I never considered it. And so I really couldn't tell you how it impacted me until at that time. But as I got older, like now I realize how it's impacted me only because I find myself within myself being a brown person, growing up not rich, like I'm being a woman, feeling uncomfortable when I see representation because I'm like, no, they should be that. They should be this. That should be a man. It shouldn't be a woman. That should be. And it's like, what? where's that thought coming from? So I think I'm more aware of it now as an adult than I was as a child that like, oh, wow, this isn't weird because it actually represents life. But for me, I never saw that in entertainment. So it's helped me to embrace things about my culture, even things like my hair being curly. Like I didn't want to wear my hair curly for work ever. I always felt like I had to straighten it. And I don't, I didn't know why that was. But to me, pretty straight, long hair meant like that's what should be on screen. I don't know why. So it's things like that that only now I'm beginning. And then watching my daughters, um, specifically my five-year-old, as we go back through old movies and things like that, she just subconsciously draws to characters that she'll go, oh, she has hair like me, mommy. She has this like me, mommy. And I'm like, yeah, she does. Wow, I bet that's cool to see. And that's it. That, so it's just now happening for me, you know. That's incredible. And for both of your shows, um, Primo, you're not only represented as an individual, but I think yours in particular is really representing the family experience as well, which I think is another big part of understanding somebody is where they come from, how they grow up. Primo, it's set in San Antonio. If you Google this, there are very few shows in history that are actually set. There's Dallas and, you know, there are these big glamour epics, but San Antonio is not represented. And in Texas, we know that that is uh, it's a very important cultural hub for our uh, for our our state. What does it mean to have also the family experience represented in, in Primo? And we'll talk about how Harlem represents a unit as well. What, how is that yeah. for you? Um, I, what I love about, I think, our show is that the family experience is relatable not only to Hispanic families, but to all, all families. Because the way that it's written and even the way the characters are portrayed. And that was, I really have to give credit to Shea Serrano and to Mike Schur and to, you know, the writers um, because they 
really wanted to make sure that they made the culture of the family something that was more of a beautiful flavor and kind of backdrop that you enjoy. But the focus was telling a story about love and family and coming of age and um, the different dynamics. And, and I love that I feel like anybody can really relate to that. And that's where I hope we end up going with inclusion, diversity, you know, representation is that we get to a place where it's normal for us to see all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, no matter what, without judgment, we see them doing life because that's what we're doing in real life. And I feel like that's the best kind of art. So I feel, you know, not that our show is the only one doing that, but I'm glad that we are part of that. Absolutely. And for, for Harlem, I think you spoke of something earlier that, I you know, intersectionality, I think, is so important uh, every day. In, in my world, I carry around the privilege of being a white man, but I am You're also... You're white. I, I know. <laughs> what? No, guys. I'm, the hair gave me away. I knew it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm also a queer man. And I so I think you talk about intersectionality being really important to how characters are developed. And Harlem is a really beautiful representation of characters. Um, and for you, I imagine, kind of speaking to your history, it must be nice to have a character who's very much owning, has agency over your queerness and your and your skin color and your power um, versus portraying a, a victim or a tokenized gay best friend, um, et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk about how Harlem also does try to represent an, a spectrum of, of your community? Um well, f first of all, I am, and maybe this is like not, this is taboo, I don't know. That's but, my favorite, favorite intro into any statement, by the way. <laughs> but and now we're like, say it, please. Right. <laughs> so when I graduated from grad school, there were lots of things that they would send me. And I said, I absolutely will never do this. Uh, because for me, like, um, my values are more important than any type of like, I want to say false progression in like the career, right? Like I can be like, oh my God, I just want anything because I just want to work and I just want to, and I do want to work, right? But I don't want to do work that like in the future when I have a kid, my kid's going to look at like, why the f did you do that, mom? <laughs> that was a little, that was a little, you know? And so, um, <laughs> and that's okay. And so, and I, but I, and I feel like, um, I'm like grateful to the people who came before me because I now have that option. Right. You know what I mean? And if this was however many years ago, I probably would not have. It's like you're doing this or you're doing that or you're not doing anything at all. Um, and so for when Harlem came, um, I was I was intrigued by the the diversity of the diversity in these black characters, right? Because these women happen to be black, but they all had four completely different yeah. experiences. And so you see a person who is a professor, um, as opposed to like the black woman being the professor's assistant, who's like fucking the professor, which like is usually the thing, right? <laughs> and so it's like she is the professor; she has ownership over her life, but she also has this complicated relationship with her mom and Angie who is a performer and is like this beautifully bold full figure black woman and you see her with her mom in season two and it's pure fucking love that scene made me so emotional because it's like you want to see the big black girl and 
they're like, well, you need to lose weight and you need to. And her mom is like, girl, what have I been telling you? You are beautiful just the way you are, which gives us more of an understanding of how she can show up so fucking vivacious in, in the world. Um, and then you have Quinn, who is like, who seemingly has it all because she's a trust fund kid and who is like the lighter skinned person, but like is struggling to figure out like she's kind of like clingy and, you know, probably has like an anxious attachment style. And you see her go through mental health issues um, this season, which is like a layer that it's like, you know, when we say like check on your strong friend or whatever, it's like you constantly see her problems being diminished because of the financial situation. And everybody say, you know, money doesn't make you happy. I mean, it doesn't make you sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just be real. Right, but it's not going to fix your problems, you know? And so, uh, it's good to have. Might help you ignore them a little bit. Right, it might. It might. (laughs) So, it's like, it's like, and and then you have Ty, who is this queer woman who is. Has is, is has ownership over her life and and owns this tech company, which is like now we're in the age of tech and tech is like the eighth continent. And so to see somebody being the head of that so early on in the tech conversation, right? It's like when when little girls see that, you know, it's like oh, I can have my own tech company, like that's easy. When it, five years ago, you wouldn't even think that that was a thing. Um, but for her to also have a, like a complicated relationship with her family, who hopefully we meet soon, okay? <laughs> um, and for there to be a conversation about like queer women and reproductive rights and freezing eggs and and it's it's so there's so many conversations that I've been seeing in the media since season two aired about like people being like, oh, I didn't know I had to check for like my egg count or I didn't know that it was possible for me to freeze my egg or people with uh, women who've experienced fibroids who are like, yeah, I got a hysterectomy because they told me that that was the only option. And the thing is, things like fibroids and endometriosis, endometriosis, because it affects women, it's under-researched, right? Like, I'm telling you men out there, you would not want to experience a period (laughs) every month, you know? And so, but, but that's the, 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 the imbalance. And so for us to have that conversation, but to still be a funny ass show, it's like, I I mean, the, the get out the musical is just, it's like brilliant, (laughs) but it's also like, as an actor, I've wanted to have those fucking conversations with white women on sets that I'm like, girl, (laughs) what is going on? And we get to have it and have it be fun. And so more people get to experience themselves through different characters because it is so specific and so nuanced. And so you never can say, I have this character pinned. She would never do this, this, and this. Yeah. It's it's because it's always going to shock you. Every episode is always going to be a new nuance introduced. And for that, I'm like completely grateful because now actually a wider spectrum of people, not whiter, wider, a wider spectrum of people can relate because there are so many uh, storylines. Mm-hmm. You segued perfectly. Yes, absolutely. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. That's amazing. You did segue really perfectly there. 
um, because comedy is kind of where I was going to go next. I feel like um, comedy is that like uh, that Trojan horse for a lot of conversations that can be difficult or, um, or or touchy or taboo to really kind of put conversations on the table. Both shows are extremely funny. They're also touching. They're also really moving and serious. Um, but there's an element of, of humor there. And we're talking about past products, Christina, n- number one. Freaky Friday is absolutely not one of those things because, oh, my gosh, by the way, Freaky Friday, everybody. <laughs> I, I don't know. In certain circles, it probably does. But to me, that is one of the most underrated films. It's so wonderful. It's terrific. It's really good. We watched it again with my kids recently. And I was what like, oh, my gosh, my my daughters were like. They just kept doing that. That's mommy. And then my my oldest was like, how old were you? <laughs> and I was like, girl, younger. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, and you know, and you, you know, you set a precedent with life with Mikey. You know, uh, uh, holding a badge of, of honor by being, you know, the first Puerto Rican uh, uh, actress to to helm a film, a young actress. Thank you for acknowledging that, of I, course, not many people know that little fact. Uh, I do, and it's cool. amazing. Thank but you. again, it's kind of talking about the, the the idea of comedy for you. Kind of how has that? How does this show? How's your career? Mm-hmm. Um, talk about being funny and how that helps you have conversations. Have you noticed that? I should ask. Oh, absolutely. Actually, that. Um, just just as Jerry so eloquently put it and you just reiterated that humor opens us up and um usually when when people have had a lot of pain and trauma humor is kind of like a little a little gift from god to help you deal with that um and so i've always used humor um as a child and and even as an adult um and i've always loved comedy i mean like my favorite show growing up, I, I loved all those shows, um, but my favorite show when I really started to like, I want to do comedy was Friends, and I almost like studied it uh, unconsciously. But um, so I've always loved comedy. I've always felt like some of the my favorite actors are actually comedic actors because when they do go to drama, it, like the best, you can't be a good comedic actor without having a strong dramatic base. That's what people don't understand, yes. because the best comedy is very grounded. It's it's being so present and real in a ridiculous circumstance, and that's what makes it funny. Not you like playing the funny, um, and so I I always wanted to do that because that's where I felt the most like myself. Um, but I didn't get to do that a lot. And like, you know, earlier in my career and stuff, like I played a lot of cops, <laughs> a lot of cops. <laughs> they were like, you're Puerto Rican and you have a strong jaw. Um, you should, you should fight crime. You should fight crime. <laughs> you should be a lawyer. And I was like, I don't even like to have uncomfortable conversations, but yeah, let's do this. Um, so when finally I got to be seen as a comedic actor and even as like a lead comedic actor, that was huge for me because I was like, oh man, like finally I get to do this thing that makes me feel alive. And I do find it easier to tell certain stories from that place. I feel like I never like to watch someone play the sadness of something. It gets uncomfortable and awkward. Even in real life, when you feel like someone's feeling sorry for themselves, you're like, well, there's no room for me to feel sorry for you. You're just taking it all up, you know? But when there's a humility of trying to find the humor in your pain, I just feel like that's so much more interesting to watch. And it opens me up to 
to he- like you said, to to hear your perspective, to see someone else's perspective. Um, so that's always like whenever even I'm listening to like messages, podcasts, whatever, and we're dealing with difficult issues, I like to listen to someone who has got a sense of humor. It just makes me feel a little like more like relaxed, especially if you're about to tell me about myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, sandwich me a little bit. So. That is beautifully said. Uh, you know, and these days I think um, actors are m- more than just delivering the lines. So much more these days you're involved in the industry. Um, you know, as you know, Hamilton puts it, you're in the, in the room where it happens. So kind of switching gears t- to that behind the scenes, are, are you, what are you seeing in the rooms where it happens? Are you seeing a change not just in representation on screen, but in are a bunch of non-diverse people still making decisions about no. characters? Okay. <laughs> and go. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the writers' rooms have changed, okay. but also writers are on strike because you got to pay them because <laughs> the people who are making the decisions have not shifted. <laughs> Come on, y'all. But um, uh, boomers are dying, so... <laughs> Sorry. So, um... If that hashtag starts trending later on, we're going to know why. It's a one of you. So I'm excited about what Gen X is going to do. Uh, they're pretty cool. I mean, they're just crazy. Um, no, but to your point, I think, like, there is a way to make things seem like seemingly they're changing because of what we see visually. But people are always feeling like they're capitalizing on a moment, right? And so it's like with Harlem, Harlem was the first thing that Tracy wrote, but they were like, no, there's no market for black female friendships, which sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. But then she had to break the box office with a movie that was... Black female friendships, and then and now it's like people are throwing money at her, and it's for black women or women of color, like specifically, you have to prove so much before you can even get the yes. It's like, well, show me you can do this, okay, but you didn't give me the resource to do it, you didn't give me the wherewithal to do it, and you're already telling me that I can't do it, and so there's already like just so much work that has to happen. And I I am excited for the moment where like women of color and people are co- people of color get easy yeses, right? It's not like, well, why do we need a Hispanic family in San Antonio, Texas? Da, 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 da. It's like, okay, and how many white people drinking beers at a bar do we have to watch before you're like, let's not do this anymore? No. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, you know, that's a that's a formula that works. So I think for me, I think when the decision makers uh, shift in a real way and people aren't hoarding money, it's like uh, people, they're paying billions and billions of dollars for, for projects, something that I won't mention. And it's like, who is watching that? <laughs> Nobody's watching that. This is visually stunning, right? But I will watch this on mute. Too many characters, too many... But then it's like a show that's not so and it's like, oh no, we need we need space for other stuff. And so, and so for me, I think ultimately when we're able to have shows, we are able to have like 
black and queer mediocrity, right? Like we're able to have those boring shows that's not about anything with people who just happen to have these identities. That's when I'm going to feel like, oh, things are changing. When people are throwing budgets at uh, people of color for them to tell their stories, that's when I'm going to feel like, oh, yeah, no, it's changing on all ends. And right now I'm like, oh, yeah, there's more people of color on camera, but pay me more money. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, like, where's my show about the gay guy who likes to PBS on Sunday night? Like, that's what I need. Uh, where is he? Where's the gay mediocrity? But, Christina, we have just, like, two minutes probably left. Um, and I want to end, you know, it's a tough conversation um, when we're talking about diversity and representation, but I, I want uh, to, to end on a joyous note. Um, you know, we, Shay is definitely uh, doing that uh, with this show. And for you, what are you inspired about? Uh, going forward with your career, with what we see on screen, in the rooms, what makes you happy and what are you excited about and or what do you hope? Conversations like this, we need to have them more. People who are not afraid to speak up and ask the hard questions and let it get awkward. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just excited that we're that we're moving in a direction, you know, change of any kind it's just hard. It begins in our hearts and that takes longer sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, just like Jerry is basically saying, we can do all this stuff on the outside, but, um, you know, we got to get in here. It's got to get in here somehow. So, and sometimes that takes a while, but I'm glad that it's happening. It's being talked about. You know what I mean? There is forward movement. So that I'm excited about. And Shay is a great example of that. He really is. Like, Everything he does, it's and it's always with this positive intention of forward movement. He's always very like kind and loving about it, and with a smile on your face, on his face, and just like wow, Shay, thank you. But then you go home and you're like, oh, he kind of, he kind of like checked me there, but I didn't realize, you know, like I didn't realize that because he did it with love and he did it with kindness, but but he provoked thinking. And um, so I'm glad that I feel like that's what's happening. That's what we're doing. It's not, I want to say this. I know we got to wrap it up, but, and I'm sure Jerry agrees with me. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but maybe <laughs> we might leave and she'd be like, girl, I did not. Um, <laughs> but it's not about villainizing any, any person, any race, any, because then we're just doing the same thing that's been done to us. And we don't, we want to be very careful not to do that. It's, it's about understanding that like, it's safe to have these conversations. It's safe to confront those things in us, like I said earlier, that are like, oh, why does that make me uncomfortable? It's okay. Don't feel ashamed. Let's just talk about why that is. Right. You know what I mean? I love you. I love you. I love white people. I like watching white people on screen. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, let's make it so that it's not uncomfortable when you see me on screen doing the same thing you were doing. Oh we're humans. We're people. You know what I mean? We are all... We, God created us all. He loves us all. And he made us all very different for a specific reason. Let's embrace that. So coming from that, you know what I mean? That, that, and I, I'm, I'm excited to go in that direction. I feel like we're going in that direction. But sometimes we need a little friction. Sometimes we need a Jerry to be like, yo, wake up. And that's My positive too. Jerry Johnson and I approve that message. <laughs> oh, Amen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Vidal and Jerry Johnson. 
Primo and Harlem are both available to watch on Amazon Prime Freebie. And please do, because if you haven't checked out these shows, especially going forward from this conversation, I think you'll have a very special understanding of them. You are both the absolute perfect people to have this conversation. Uh, So thank you very much for being here. You're a wonderful moderator, sir. You are perfect. Jerry Johnson is perfect. Jerry Johnson is is perfect. Christina Vidal, you are too. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarlane, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit ATXFestival.com.